You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Let's go back in time to 1932 as Congress brings you historic footage of the legendary original Celtics with whom all great professional teams are compared. We have now taken over your radio. Richie Guerin is about to show you the most important step in getting past a man. It's the first one. And Oscar will inbound it. The men in green, the Milwaukee Bucks, that's Al Cinder against Bellamy. the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast at HardwoodProxism.com. I'm Jason Mann, and with me as usual is Rich Krejci. Rich Krejci, back with you. Yes. So we, um, big things keep happening in the world of the NBA. Uh, <laughs> let us do point. our 70s project, NBA, come on. Yes, so um, we we will have our uh, our promised 70s project uh, coming very soon, but, uh, but first we have to talk about something really important. Uh right. Tim Duncan retired, uh, officially announcing his retirement on July 11, 2016. Uh, it was it, we sort of you know had an inkling it was coming. The reports that um, that he was going to retire. Uh, mm-hmm. His last um, his last game in Oklahoma City playoff game, he played the uh, most, if not all, of the fourth quarter. Actually helped them uh, look, briefly. It looked like they were going to make a comeback, and then they, they end up falling, um, but by a decent large margin. But um, and he, you know, as he was leaving the court, he got a standing ovation and lifted his hand in the air, and so that definitely, you know, was a sign was a sign that you know maybe he was done. But obviously, once it's official, it, it adds emotional resonance, and uh, so we decided, well, we need to talk about Tim Duncan. I think it's uh, obviously he uh, he he deserves a, a show dedicated <coughs> to uh, to to his career and some some interesting stories that we're going to try to we're trying to dig into. Uh, a lot that was written about him, and find uh, some some interesting stories and anecdotes, and uh, and share them with you guys. Yeah, we we set the precedent with Chauncey Billups, so now anybody that's better than Chauncey Billups that retires, we have to do a show about. So 
Which I think is a pretty good barometer, right? Okay. That's if, you're, if you're Chauncey Billups or better, you're, you deserve a show, right? When okay. you retire. I, I think that's I think, fair. Yeah. It, Tim Duncan's quite a bit, although Chauncey Billups is very good, but, but Tim Duncan's quite a bit better. That's so what I mean. I, like, Chauncey's a good one, though, because, like, he's, he's, yeah. he's solid, but he's one of those ones that, like, people might not, you know, revere or whatever. I mean, Tim Duncan absolutely deserves one, but I, I say from yeah. here on out, anybody better than Chauncey Billups, we, uh, we, we give him a show, so. All right. <laughs> it, it, it has been decreed. Right. Decreed it has been. How you define better than Chauncey Billups, so I'll leave that up to you, Jason. All right, so. that's, that's fair. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot, lot to get into, um, obviously, but, uh, yeah, I, I first kind of I, I want to just take a little bit of time to sort of talk about some of the, the Tim Duncan narratives and whether we think they are true or not true or true-ish. Um, because I, I think that just you know when you um, you know when you hear about him, you hear about you know his consistency, you hear about his reliability, lack lack of spectacular flair, but um, you know some people kind of consider him in the Spurs dull and lacking personality, especially in the early years. I think more um, more recent years they embraced a more pleasing style of play that um, made them a little bit more of a darling of um, uh, of most hardcore fans. But they definitely you know were something that. You know, for the most part, um, you know they weren't appreciated or, or loved by, um, by by the masses like you know the Warriors of recent vintage have been, or um, you, you know they they haven't been that transformative team that's always in the headlines like the you know the Lakers of the two thousands and Miami Heat of the of the early twenty tens. So uh, you know, but at the same time, obviously their their consistency. You know, we we've talked about it many times. Is you know even going before Duncan, but certainly since Duncan has been there for 19 years, they have been basically a title contender almost every single season, uh, you know, a threat to win um, a championship, lock at 50 or more wins, just, you know, one of the great, um, you know, Duncan and with Popovich as a coach, one of the great, you know, tandems of um, all time, one of the great, you know, consistent arcs, not just in NBA, but in any sport. Yeah, no, he's definitely, I mean, there, there's, there of course are the dull narratives and the boring narratives and all that sort of stuff, but to be fair, I think most, at least in my life, when I've surrounded myself or, or as I've gotten older and surrounded myself with more apt basketball fans, more apt, you know, players of basketball, people that understand basketball a little bit more, I hear that a lot less. Now, I don't know if that's still like kind of a national narrative because I try to ignore a lot of like the, the terrible national narratives and stuff. But I do remember, of course, and, and I think we all remember when they first came into the league. Uh, or when Duncan first came in the league and the Spurs, kind of until about maybe 2005-ish or so, there was that talk about him. And you know what? To be fair, it's not, it's honestly not like yeah. – it's not a horribly unwarranted thing because they did play a very boring – but, you yeah. know, a kind of a boring, dull brand of basketball, and, even and, if it and, wasn't Duncan specifically that was doing it. But Yeah, and, and in, in fairness, like it was a, a time where the league w- had gotten That's a what, My bit. point was going to be it was a boring-ass yeah. league too. Like, it was yeah. like, yes, Duncan and the Spurs yeah. were the, the, you know, the top dogs, but it was a all-around boring league. I mean, yes, you had like your few guys or, you know, your Vince Carters, your Tracy McGrady's and a few guys like that, even Kobe and Shaq to an extent. But a lot of your best teams, and, and of course the Kings and, and the Mavs were coming up a little bit, but a lot of the really good teams – kind of played a boring plotting yeah. brand of basketball and the Spurs were one of those teams yeah they were slow it down grind it out play yeah. great defense I mean and there's something to be appreciated for that too I, I, you know I, I think um, 
yeah, I, I mean, I don't think everything was dull at that point, but it was definitely a slower game. It was definitely, you know, a lot of, um, you know, one-on-one, a lot of, you know, throwing it, you know, into the low post and, you know, letting a guy get his move. And, you know, it, it, it wasn't the kind of, yeah, obviously, you know, they had the rule changes for a reason to open up the game to, you know, um, uh, you know, and, and it obviously worked out very well. It's a, it's a faster pace, more scoring game. You know, most people I think like it better now. There are some diehards who like the, uh, who who like the old ways. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, and I think it, it is to the credit of Duncan and the Spurs that they were able to, you know, change their style of play in an effective way. I mean, you know, Duncan for the first half of his career was very much that, you know, you go to him in the low post and he, you know, he, he has these. You know, he, he has these great low post moves. He has these great, you know, he, he's got that bank shot. He's got, you know, he's got a great jumper and everything. It's very, you know, there, there's nothing, you know, I mean, it, it's spectacular in a sense because it is just, you know, incredible for a guy to be that skilled and to play that way. But there's nothing like stand out like, you know, that that's just going to like uh, inspire like, a, you know, a. I, oh my God! I can't believe he just did that. that. That's not something he did very often. You know, he, he just did, he he lacked that um, he lacked that flair. And there's nothing wrong with that. He's obviously incredibly effective, and and um, you know won uh, you know won five championships for his career, four in the uh, uh, from '99 to 2007 for in in nine seasons. So obviously a great success during that time. But it was a um, you know, throughout his career he was. You know, I, I think like, it, it, you know, and a lot of these, I think it contains truth, but it sort of tends to oversimplify like who he was and, and what he did. Um, uh, you know, the other thing is I the the argument of was he a power forward or a center? And, <laughs> I hate this argument. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I, I would argue that probably he was sort of somewhere in between, maybe right. 4.5, you could say, you know. Because he, yeah. did, he did, at, at various times, yeah, it was depending who else was on. The, it's it's a very fluid thing, and in a lot of ways, of course, this has now become a little bit more the norm for a lot of players. And we sort of, I think, less and less, and and at least in our lifetimes, I think there'll become a point where people aren't so as rigid with, oh, he's a point guard, he's a power forward, he's a center. I think LeBron's doing a great job of sort of breaking that because he's he's kind of all over the place. But yeah, I always had this idea with with Duncan that, well, it depends who he's with on the court. Yes, if David Robinson's on the court, he's probably a power forward. If Malik Rose is on the court, well, he's maybe a center then. Like you know, it, it's not like or Tiago Splitter okay now he's back to a power like he was able to do both I kind of always defined him as that that tweener like you said a 4.5 if you want that, that's always been how I've at least viewed him and, and this argument has always kind of infuriated me because who cares who cares yeah and um I, right I mean exactly I, I, just, I just think like yeah I, I mean I think there's a different position for what he did there's these in-between guys who weren't you know like they're not, you know, they're not quite Shaq, obviously, as a center. They're they're not, you know, they're they're not just playing to the back of the basket, but they're also, you know, they're they have center skills. They can defend most centers. They can, you know, defend most power forwards. He could defend, you know, I mean, he was really obviously one of his great skills was his incredible versatility as a defender, being able to defend in the post and being able, to, you know, to get out in the perimeter and to, you know, to handle switches and things like that, which he did, you know, incredibly well for you know up until kind of last year of his career when he started to slow down a little bit. Even though he, you know, the the Spurs were historically great defense and he had an incredibly great defensive rating, but you could tell a little bit that he had, you know, some of the things like the, uh, especially against Golden State, he had a tough time, you know, with the, with the uh, switching on the pick and rolls and things like that at that point. But um, the other thing to me is that, you know, there's, there's the idea of, you know, the selflessness, the lack of ego, you know, being understated, being, um, you know, and, and whether it's tr- it's certainly true that he was not a guy who was you know out there bragging a whole lot. He was not a guy who was um, 
he, he was not a guy who was, um, you know, he didn't uh, do a whole lot of, uh, didn't do a whole lot of like in-depth interviews, didn't really share his personality. So he did definitely uh, have that. And he, uh, he definitely, unlike almost every single superstar in, in sports, he didn't really, um, you know, use his power in a way that was anything other than pretty much benevolent. I mean, he's, general regard is just an incredible teammate but i do think like he I, I think it's important to say that like he did have an ego he was respected as a leader he did you know he had that you know, he wasn't just this like you know meek kind of um you know um guy who just deferred to everyone i mean he, he he commanded that leadership he commanded that team um and he also could be very biting and sarcastic in his humor which you know was actually one thing that he was you know that um that, that people generally liked about right him. and a reason why he probably got along with uh mr popovich for yes. many many yeah. years because he's a very similar guy one thing right. i did want to mention uh you had mentioned before the the talk about him sort of being being dull and lacking personality on the court or whatever and we're going to find some quotes and we found some quotes as we're kind of going through this research and, and we'll talk about them i'm sure during the show that a lot of players said that that was kind of intimidating in a lot of ways because they were so yes. used to people being you know braggadocious and bold and 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 colorful and like duncan just kind of did his thing he just kind of stood there and looked at like there's one yeah. story of draymond green who's like he's like talking crap to him and duncan just stares at him and draymond's just like oh all right and that just doesn't he, and then draymond says i never talk crap to him again because it was just like oh well, it doesn't affect him at all does it like to some people that that really does work like that sort of stoicness and that sort of seriousness had people in a lot of ways respect him even more on the court it worked to his advantage of being that way and it's it's you know it's probably not very far from what he is but we have seen him be a little bit more playful but when he was on the court he was kind of a very stoic dull person but yeah. he used that absolutely to his advantage because then he'd burst out of nowhere and hit you with you know a great hook shot and you'd be like ah damn and then you know he had 35 points and and 20 rebounds and you'd be you know he always seemed to have that knack of like and i was talking with a few buddies about this is that you would watch a game with the spurs and you would know that duncan was having a game uh, a really good game but it wouldn't be almost until the end that you would be like oh my god he had like you know 35 and 20 or he had 40 points you know what i mean like i was watching highlights of his his 53 point game because so many of his points come in like a very you know they're they're hook shots. They're kind of these bank shots. They're not, nothing spectacular about any of the shots that he's making. They're just like you know very good, very crisp, very you know smart fundamental shots that you sort of get lost in the moment. And then when the game's over, you don't even realize how many points and how big of an impact he had on that particular game. I do remember that so many times with Duncan. But then there are other times as well, like the 2003, uh, the game six, you know, final game of David Robinson. That was a, a very obvious. You know, Duncan saying, I am going to win this game, I'm taking over this game, and we're going to dominate. And there were pl plenty of games where he had that as well, but I thought that one of the more interesting things of him is that he would so quietly dominate a game. Yeah, absolutely. And you you talk about the stoic demeanor on the court, but the one time, or the, the, the times he was not stoic was when he was uh, complaining about calls to uh, <laughs> right. referees, which well, was, was quite often. I, I always loved that, you know, the, those, those those big eyes would um, come out, and, you know, he would just... The, the uh, greatest shrug ever, yeah. His shrug yes. was the best. Like, he put his the, head the, down the and shrug. shrug like. and, yeah, and just the, just the incredulousness that would be in his face <laughs> as when, you know, a call would go in his way. I mean, I... Uh, I've heard people joke that, you know, Tim Duncan, you know, he did all these things but never committed a foul, you know, and uh, <laughs> at least according to him. So um, I, I, so that's that obviously goes against the the, 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 the stoicism idea. But, but, yeah, he was very much like um, – he, he even talked about how, you know, he tried to kind of maintain that demeanor on the court. Not He thought that, you know, if people didn't see what affected him, then they would it would rattle them or at least at the very least they wouldn't feel like they had an advantage on him. So – 
Uh, and, I, and obviously, he, he was very effective in his career. Um, so we're gonna try. We're gonna share some um, some interesting Tim Duncan stories that we found uh, throughout his uh, throughout his life and career. Um, he uh, he started out as a swimmer and um, actually only began playing basketball in the ninth grade after Hurricane Hugo uh, destroyed the only Olympic-sized pool on his home, which is in uh, Saint Croix in the in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And uh, they started practicing in the ocean, but he was afraid of the sharks, so he uh, decided to switch to basketball. I'm with you, instead. Tim. Yeah, I'm with you, Tim. <laughs> I uh, I too uh, uh, curtailed my Olympic uh, swim uh, hopefulness, but because of my uh, I was so afraid of sharks as well. So ah, well there you uh, go. Yeah, because also Hurricane, Hurricane Hugo also affected Chicago's uh, Olympic sized pool. <laughs> sure. So yeah, yeah. It, it, so that, me and him always had that connection from the almost yeah. from the very well, beginning. Well, that's so. good. You you, Tim, <laughs> you know. Um, he, um, so he, he, um, he actually promised his mother he would graduate from college bef uh, before she died of breast cancer one day before he uh, turned 14. So that was the reason he decided to, uh, stay at uh, Wake Forest for, um, uh, for all four years. He basically the, really the last all time great player to play, you know, four years in college, probably the you know, uh, probably going to be the last Hall of Famer. You know, there may be somebody, you know, uh, here and there who kind of comes. You know, Damian Lillard, for instance. I think he did, did he do four years in college. I think he may um, have, but, I don't know off the top of my head. I'm sure someone yeah, will correct us. Uh, yeah, there, there probably is, like, a, somebody. But um, as far as, like, a, you know, um, it, it's certainly rare. I mean, he was the, kind of the last of uh, the breed of those guys. Yeah, and, and Lillard, team. like, he kind of – I mean, people knew about him, but he sort of came out of nowhere in a sense where Tim Duncan, almost from the time he was, like, a sophomore, people were like, this guy is really good. He is great. Uh, you yeah. know, we'll talk about a story here in a little bit where people are like, uh, dude, you're ready, like, whenever you want to come. And yeah. he didn't. And so that that is going to be the rare thing of, like, that guy that, like, everybody knows as a sophomore, even as a freshman now, because guys advance so much quicker now. Even as a freshman, you know this guy is great. You know he's awesome. You know he's going to be a top-five pick. And yet he hangs around for all four years. That is not going to happen. Like, a guy like a Damian Lillard, yeah, he might, or, or, or you know, there's going to be other guys that kind of come out of nowhere, go into the league and do well. But you're never going to – I really just do not think you're going to get that guy that – as a freshman, as a sophomore, people know he's great, and he just stays like that. I, I don't think so. Yeah, I, um, I, I yeah, it's totally agree. Um, so I didn't know. Willard was uh, all four years. Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. But okay, yes, there you so. go. Yes, nobody has to correct um, us. We corrected ourselves. There you go. Yes. Um, so I didn't know this story, but he uh, he had a he, he had a, a battle on the court with Alonzo Mourning uh, when he was 16 years old, and actually got the better of Alonzo. <laughs> yeah, that was a, it's a really good story. Yeah, here's a, there's a quote from the uh, Washington Post that actually talks about this. Uh, this was in, uh, uh, actually yesterday, I think it came out uh, yesterday, this article. Uh, NBA player agent Bob Kingsley arranged a tour uh, for NBA players to raise money and awareness following a uh, spate of violence in the Virgin Islands. Uh, so the team, they gathered a bunch of guys. They basically couldn't get anybody great because, like, not many guys wanted to come do this. Uh, but Alonzo Mourning did. So uh, and he was kind of a big star at that point or, or at least budding Absolutely. into a star. Yeah, so he was, yeah. So yeah, so so hey, we got Zoe. Cool, nice. So uh, we're gonna go to the Virgin Islands, play these uh, random guys that are gonna be no good, and uh, yeah, we'll get out of here. But uh, that did not happen because inside of a uh, the, the packed gym, uh, Duncan matched up against Morning early on in the game. Uh, this is the article of uh, Washington Post again. Uh, early on in the game, Duncan caught a pass on the block, turned, squared up, and banked a shot in over Morning. The rest of the night, Duncan uh, reportedly dominated Morning. King figured uh, Morning was going to go through the motions in a charity game, but Duncan's performance still blew him away. So, of course, there was still 
ridiculous idea that Morning was kind of going through the mode. But still, I mean, at a certain point, you know, you score a few times on an NBA guy, and he's probably going to go, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get going here. But it didn't happen here. Um, here's a quote as well from the article. Uh, he's playing against Alonzo Morning. He's 16. He's dominating this guy. He's running the floor. He has these great hands. I was like, oh my god, this kid can play. Yeah, and um, yeah, yeah, that that's obviously uh, you know it's interesting, of course, because he started at fourteen, so he at sixteen right. years old, you know, he he grew a lot in you know, he grew like nine inches in three years, so um, you know, because he kind of started off uh, you know, learning the game as a guard, and then you know, grew to the point where he became a big man. Um, obviously, you know, um, showing those kind of skills during his career um, as well, but um, yeah, and then. Um, Another thing I think um, that stands out is that, um, you know, Duncan would very likely have been the number one pick in 95 and 96 uh, if he had gone early. But Duncan assured everyone that he had no intention of going pro until he graduated, um, even though the uh, NBA was planning to add a rookie salary cap in 96. So he, he, um, you know, there was a lot of money um, that he could have gotten if he had left early. So that even, you know, stands out even more the fact that he decided to, uh, you know, go to school, you know, and go to school, leave early, you know, whatever. For It's obviously everybody's individual decision, but I think just the fact that he, um, y- you know, um, even though he had that incentive to stay, to not stay, the fact that he stayed, I think was, um, you know, it's pretty special. Oh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, like I was mentioning before, he was a guy that people knew. I mean, I, rem- I remember watching him even as a kid and because, and, and, you know, at that time I watched a lot more college basketball than I do now. But I remember seeing him as, as a junior and a sophomore and it just being this idea that like this guy is very good. Like and that had become, you know, the, the, the stay four years and, you know, live out your college and you know win some national titles like that had pretty much passed at this point. Uh, you know, of course, in in this era we're starting to get into the early days of you know Kevin Garnett coming out of you know high school Kobe Bryant coming out of high school guys leaving I mean that it had basically that that floodgate has sort of opened of guys coming in and 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 being good players right off the bat as well because there had always been that sort of phobia about about you know younger guys or underclassmen or whatever so this idea that you get a big man like Duncan who's as polished as he was and pretty much ready to go at that point, like you said, he was the top pick both of those years, and for him to stay and leave that money and, and do all that, it's admirable. And of course, you know, knowing that he did it so that he could get his degree, which he promised his mother, just adds another different element to it. So, yeah, and uh, and at Wake Forest, uh, Tom Haberstroh uh, tweeted <laughs> uh, that uh, a link to a he published a paper in a psychology journal. He majored in psychology. Uh, the the title is Blowhards, Snar- Snobs, and Narcissists: Interpersonal Reactions to Excessive Egotism, which um, <laughs> I, you know I guess is useful for the NBA. Absolutely, yeah. The the the, the opening line of the, uh, the the that chapter is a uh, few interactions are as annoying, exacerbating, and unpleasant as those with people whom we perceive are behaving egotistically. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, the perfect Tim Duncan, you know, term paper yes. is is that uh, right there, and I yes. I, I fully. You know, I could I could just see him on his. Uh, I'm trying to think. What do you in, in 1996? What do you type? In? I guess you type on an early computer, right? Like, sure. Tim yeah. Duncan had a uh, had a sweet computer in 1996. Yeah. Okay. You know, whatever whatever Apple was going on. Yeah, you know, exactly. The, uh, yeah. The, the, the small you know the small little <laughs> ones that were gray and like lime green. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah 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 with the handle in the back. Yeah, I see him yeah. in like a very small chair too. It's like sure. a very small chair, small computer yeah, with like his legs yeah. on his knees, <laughs> his like knees facing his nose, and he's just typing. You know, ah, damn it! I hate egotistical people. And yeah, it's it's perfect for old Timmy. There you go. Yes. So um and you know he was um. 
NBA ready from the moment he stepped onto the floor in 1997. In only his third game ever, he scored 19 points and 22 rebounds against the two-time defending defending champion Bulls. So, and, and, uh, yeah, so it's, his game logs of that opening year are like 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 go look at him if you're if you're with me right now and if you're listening to the show right now go 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 look at him. I mean, it, it's incredible how quickly he was like, yeah, I'm ready to go and I'm good. Like you know, yeah. 15 and 10 his first game. Yeah. Then he has nine. Then he has 19, 19, 8, 15, 22, 19, 20. And then, like, it's basically off and running. And then I don't think he scores single digits, like, once more after his first week. And it's, like, it's just ridiculous. Like, yeah. And then he's, he's scoring 20 a game, you know, from then on. Like, it, it was just, like, there was no – it just hit the ground running. Absolutely. Like, from the first game he stepped on the court, from the first moment he stepped on the court, he belonged and he never didn't belong. And that, that's something that I think is pretty remarkable about Duncan is that even in that final year, which you're saying, you know, it was kind of waning a little bit, but there never was a point where he was on the court and you were like, oh, no, the team is worse for him being – you know, there was never, ever that, where we we see that with a lot of legendary players where they have their final year. I mean, you know, people are going to get mad, but Kobe Bryant a lot of this last year was like, uh, okay, I can, like, all right, like, you know, it's, it's okay, Kobe, you're, you're not great, but keep shooting the ball. I mean, keep doing it. Duncan never – we never did that. He stepped on the court, he was great, and he left the court, and he was still good. So it's like yeah. – it, it's remarkable in that sense. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he had his struggles kind of in later in the season in the playoffs, um, mm-hmm. you, you know, but, but yeah, I'm for the for, – you know, other than, you know, blips here and there, he basically – um, you know, you, you looked at. I mean, it's amazing. You look at like the per minute numbers of his first and his last season, and they're you know the, they're extremely close. Like the per thirty six, uh, you know, everything scoring, rebounding, you know, basically everything shooting percentage, all that stuff um, was you know at a very similar range from his first season to his uh, last season. So, um, so nineteen ninety nine, I had kind of forgotten how dominant they were throughout that playoff series because you know when Duncan comes to the Spurs you know the only reason they were bad in 97 was because they had held David Robinson and Sean Elliott out uh, with injuries and and um, uh, you know who are the two best players Robinson obviously being a superstar and once they you know once those guys were healthy and they brought in Duncan they were you know ready to be a uh, you know a, a 51 perennial team and possible championship contender and then they would win the finals uh, their second year and um yeah, they so they they beat the Timberwolves three games to one. They swept the Lakers and the Blazers, and then defeated the Knicks for one in the final. Now, now the Knicks, you know, were famously the eighth seed. They were not a reg, a good regular season team, so they were you know a, a fairly easy um, team to beat. But you know, the, the Western Conference was pretty tough that year. I mean, the Lakers and the Blazers were not uh, you, you know they were not nothing. That was Shaq and Kobe pre Phil Jackson, and you know that was a, a Trailblazers team that had a lot of. Um, you know, they had a, had a lot of good players that you know that was the year before of course they uh they faced the lakers in that famous 2000 series so um you know, you know they they were able to kind of wipe through uh those teams in in, in pretty f- impressive fashion only losing two uh, games in that uh in that series and you know and, and duncan of course had a pretty stout um you know it was pretty stout throughout those entire playoffs yeah first round uh just quick little averages looking at his points per game and rebounds uh the first round he averaged 18.8 points per game and 10.8 rebounds per game so uh, not bad second round uh, against the lakers 29 points per game and 10.8 point, uh, rebounds per game so uh not bad again also the yeah. same rebounds per game in the first and second round which is uh perfect a lot of point eights in this one i don't know why yes. he was very <laughs> had a propensity for point eight uh averages 
pieces here. Uh, third round, 16, as you're going to guess, 0.8 <laughs> points per game. Uh, and nine, you're going to guess this, 0.8 uh, rebounds per game. I'm not joking. I don't know how these happen like that. But uh, And then he turned it on definitely for the NBA Finals, uh, 27.4 points per game and 14 rebounds per game uh, in route to being the uh, Finals MVP. Uh, and he was the second youngest uh, at age 23 uh, in NBA history to win the Finals MVP, just behind Magic Johnson. Yes. So... Um... Yeah, so that, you know, obviously they would, um, you know, they, they would kind of fall back uh, behind the Lakers for the next uh, few seasons. The Lakers won the championships in 2000, 2001, and 2002. They would battle in uh, in two of those um, uh, playoffs, as I recall. And uh, the um, the Spurs would get some revenge The uh, in the 2003 season. They would... Uh, they would win the championship. Uh, Robinson and Duncan were co-named Sports Illustrated's 2003 Sportsman of the Year. I, I checked to see how common it is for multiple people to win Sports um, Men of the Year, and this actually is it, it is fairly common. So it wasn't that, that unique for them to be do so. But that was David Robinson's final season. It obviously had transitioned to be Duncan's team. It, it really had almost immediately from when Duncan came in, it, it was kind of his team. But um, – Although Robinson was still obviously very important mm-hmm. um, to that, but um, but obviously that that made the difference since they were you know just a pretty good team before um, uh, Duncan came in and then uh, you know became what they were after that. Um, interestingly enough, the uh, and I had kind of forgotten this, but uh, Jason Kidd uh, apparently agreed to sign with the uh, Spurs in free agency after that season in 2003, uh, and then decided he had second thoughts and decided to go back to the nets and for this big contract and uh you know the, those teams had matched up in the finals in 2003 uh, you know you wonder um obviously the spurs had a lot of success won you know the uh the you know, they won the 05 and 07 titles after that but you wonder if kid had been there um if you know if they had been even stronger if they didn't win some back-to-back or you know three in a row type things i mean that that would have been an incredible powerhouse team yeah, the interesting part about that that you sort of have to think because I, I look at it on the flip side of I look at yeah you have Jason Kidd on that team and that obviously he had been you know a, a perennial you know NBA Finals contender in the East and, and coming to the Spurs and great point guard obviously but then you also look at the idea that you know then you you what happens to Tony Parker where does Tony Parker become and there was some value in Tony Parker being very good and then also being you know much more affordable than a Jason Kidd whereas now that team had a lot of extra money because you had a Parker who who wasn't commanding that much money where it would have been interesting to see if that maybe then the bench suffers by not having as much money or, you know because you have a kid in there and that, that was a big deal and that's something that the Spurs you know haven't really done much is like that big free agent deal they've just kind of been able to you know smartly draft and smartly acquire guys from various different uh, you know parts of the of the universe yeah, and the world well, or whatever a lot of reclamation projects yeah exactly DL so that's been great and, yeah, yeah, yeah but so it's it been very interesting because I mean I, that changes the whole dichotomy of the Spurs in the mid 2000s if you have this guy on a big money contract that's taking up a bunch of your, a bunch of your cap even if he's a great player and even if he's awesome it's just kind of it, it's just a whole different team and a whole different dynamic yeah, uh, and point. you wonder, of course, about Tony Parker development there. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it could have not gone that well. I, I mean, I tend to think it might. It probably would have, at least uh, in the next three or four years. Of course, you wonder if they're able to kind of re, you know, um, rebuild themselves the way that they did after you know two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and recast themselves, and you know, that, that, that would have changed a whole lot of things. So the long, so it maybe it, it might have helped them win a, another ring. Um, 
here and there, but it may have, you know, prevented them from being able to do future things down the line. It may have changed uh, Parker's career course. He may not have stuck around, you know, a lot of things to uh, think about there. But um, it, the, the fact that he actually expressed regret did not, not join the team in 2003 um, was a little bit of a surprise to me. He, he had some success with the Nets and obviously he would win a title in Dallas, but um but yeah, but given you know kind of all the kvetching about Durant joining the Warriors, um, I thought it was interesting, you know, mm-hmm. the fact that you know Kid came so close to even agreeing to join the Spurs before backing out on that. Uh, and one thing we should mention before we move on is uh, Duncan, because we kind of uh, went over this. Is, is Duncan in you know ninety nine two thousand having the opportunity to leave the Spurs and sign with Orlando or you know oh, sign yeah. with, there were pl- plenty of teams, but Orlando apparently had you know the best offer, a multi year deal, you know, big money. And he even said that it made they made it very difficult. You know, they wind and dined him. They talked about building, you know, this this power team with him and Grant Hill and all these guys. Hill eventually, of course, uh, did move on from the Pistons to go to the Magic, but uh, Duncan did stay with the Spurs, of course, and you know created that legacy. But that's a whole different animal if like he becomes an Orlando Magic, and it's like okay, like you know, like I think that team would have been pretty awesome because you have Tim Duncan and you know Grant Hill, and eventually you'd get you know Tracy McGrady or whatever. But um, just it, it, again, it's another interesting little wrinkle of like just this one little thing changing you know two decades worth of the nba is, is just crazy yeah and um i, I like there's a, a an anecdote about uh, duncan and popovich staying up late uh, drinking beers in pop's backyard uh talking you know the uh, the situation through before uh, duncan decided to um to come back but yeah i mean that would that obviously would have been i mean that looked like it a very appealing thing um you know, because they were getting Grant Hill and Tracy McGrady, that looked like that was going to be a real powerhouse. Um, you know, and the Spurs didn't. You know, they, that was pre after the '99 season. That was pre Ginobili, um, pre Parker. They didn't necessarily have like you know they were a pretty old team other than um, Duncan. So um, you know, it looked like they were going to have a, a, and that, that West could, wasn't and the West wasn't getting any easier either. I mean, that's right. Thing yeah, too. Exactly. You look at yeah, like I mean, that was, we that talked was about you know the year prior how they went through the, the Portland and. Uh, the Lakers, well, the Lakers had figured it out, and of course, were on their way to you know some great dominant years. Uh, Portland was still super talented. And then you have like Sacramento emerging with Weber starting to kind of find his yeah. footing in, in in there, and Dallas starting to get something going as well. So like, yeah. I look at that Western Conference, and I look at the Eastern Conference, and I'm like, eh, you know, I think I'm gonna go over there. Like, I like yeah. that a little bit more. Yeah, like, and obviously Timberwolves were emerging with Garnett. Yeah, of course. The, oh yeah, the, of course. you know, Jazz was Stockton Malone were still you know were still powerhouse right at the end of that. So yeah, that I mean that would have. Uh, it would have been understandable if he had left uh and obviously things you know worked out but that that was also of you know a a pretty close decision on um on duncan's part from you know from all accounts um so yeah and you know the other thing that was um you know another very close call was uh the famous uh derek fisher shot of 0.4 seconds uh, remaining uh which knocked the uh you know, eventually knocked the the Spurs out. Uh, you know the, the the final Lakers and Spurs uh, playoff uh, matchup of the uh, of of the Kobe Shaq era, and um, with the uh, the Lakers winning you know three uh, series two, um, and uh, you know Kobe actually or Duncan actually had a you know a fadeaway shot uh, of his own that um, you know, looked like the game winner because again there was so little time left point four seconds and, you got this yeah. you're good like how do you get a shot off in point four seconds well, right and uh and of course you know that would have uh 
you know, the Spurs would have been able to, you know, if they got by the Lakers, they would have been able to uh, win the series. You know, they would have, they had a good chance of winning the championship there against the Pistons, and you know, they had a good chance of winning three in a row. And instead, they of course, you know, the, the kind of the one, you know, small mark against Duncan is the lack of back-to-back titles. Although, you know, <laughs> you're really you're you're, you're, you're really stretching there, yeah. buddy. Yeah, exactly. like, yeah. Hypothetical person, you're stop. You're you're just stop. <laughs> yes. But yeah, that's a good that's a good case point in that yes, maybe he didn't win back by titles, but uh, this was a very good opportunity that he lost. And then you look at other things like there's a, like a realistic chance if you do a few. I mean, like of course you can do this with a lot of people, but if there's a realistic chance if you kind of move some things here and there and and look at um, like 2006, there was that uh, I, if I remember the the key play in that series, uh, I think Dirk went Dirk went for a drive and like Manu just for whatever like Dirk is already like interest in the basket and I think Manu just like pushes him in the back and like Dirk gets an and one and that's a big reason why the Mavericks you know beat them in 2006 so you can look at a case where like the Spurs are in like five straight NBA finals and have an actual realistic chance of winning like five straight NBA titles which is crazy but then it ended up you know they didn't win any in a row (laughs) it's just just again like uh just just as crazy it is of course again you can do that with a bunch of little things but we look at very like very super specific plays that really knock them out or whatever so it's just it's just really interesting yeah, very small margins of these things right. from you know being an even an even greater achievement, and I mean we don't want to overdo that because obviously you know their achievements um, are incredible on their on the face, but you know it is an interesting thought exercise. Um, one probably disappointing aspect of uh, Duncan's career is that he was never able to win Olympic gold. He was uh, he was injured in uh, 2000. Uh, he, he missed the playoffs that year as well. That's uh, one reason why they were not able to repeat that year. And, um, and in 2004, they had, um, you know, one of the, the great, um, lack of fit teams with, um, uh, with, uh, um, Iverson and Marbury and, um, and, and just not just kind of having a, a mishmash of guys that were talented, but just didn't fit, uh, lacked cohesion because they hadn't had much practice time together and uh, Larry Brown, not necessarily the most suitable coach uh, for that squad, and they ended up, uh, they ended up w- with the Browns. And after the tournament, wait a minute, are you calling into question Larry Brown's patience with something? Hold <laughs> I on, know. hold I know. on a minute. I, I will know. not. I will not even hear it. I won't hear it. Yes. So that is after- SMU legend Larry Brown. Oh wait, he's sorry, he quit. Sure. Sorry, he just quit last week. Sorry, never mind. Yeah. I take it back. Um, after the tournament, D- Duncan said, I'm about 95% sure my FIBA career is over. I'll try not to share my experiences with anyone. So. <laughs> and he never got back, which yeah. is great. He never won Olympic gold, Tim Duncan, no. ever. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know if it's a huge regret for him, but, um, uh, but yeah, he only was able uh, – he only had those opportunities. Um, and, um, I, I, yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised he didn't go 96. Or, uh, did they have a college choice in 96? I feel like they did. But uh, Yeah, let me see what um, the 96 Olympic – team was yeah i don't remember um i'm sure they had a college they always had like a token college guy. Yeah, i think now i think 96 was the last year they, they had a token college guy but i could be wrong no there's that, no token but. college guy in the 96 oh well, there team, you I go guess. all yeah, right so <laughs> christian yeah. leitner was too much for them to handle like, all right well yeah. forget it like, no one can follow that act, yeah we'll so. just have mitch richmond instead of like some terrible yes. college guy so yeah there no problem so um, one uh, one great uh, one great Duncan story is in 2006 he paid Brent Berry a hundred dollars to kiss <laughs> David Stern at a ring ceremony honoring the Spurs 2005 championship, uh, uh, and then he yeah he, he kissed him on the uh, cheek and Duncan gave him a hundred bucks. So <laughs> That's I, the greatest. I uh, 
that's a great uh, uh, that's a great story. And there is and, video uh, evidence if you want to look this up too. If you look up uh, uh, 2005, you know Spurs ring ceremony, you can find it on YouTube. So yes, so there you go. Um, and then uh, I, I, another uh, another amusing uh, anecdote, um, although maybe it didn't seem amusing to him at the time, was of <laughs> course the famous uh, Joey Crawford uh, ejecting uh, Duncan, who was laughing on the bench, laughing about a call that went against the Spurs. Yeah, th- this is a great one, and yeah, it actually did play like a pivotal part in <laughs> in that season because I think the Spurs like lost the two seed or like the, in that game. I think if they had won, they could gotten the, they would have gotten the two seed in the playoffs, but then they lost <laughs> or whatever. But uh, yeah, yeah uh, it was April two thousand seven. Uh, Duncan was called for his first technical foul uh, with about two twenty remaining in the third. Uh, he was arguing, uh, you know, as we mentioned, he, he, as he was wont to do, an offensive foul. Uh, Crawford hit him with the second technical though. Uh, a minute and sixteen later, when Duncan was on the bench laughing about a call that went against the Spurs. And uh, there's a great video of this as well. I actually looked up a, an article of, from that actual time because I know Joey Crawford got like suspended for it and like got really reprimanded. And uh, Duncan had a quote. I'm sure it was part of why Joey Crawford got suspended. Uh, the NBA, I'm sure, trusted Duncan here. But, yeah, it's a really telling thing. So Duncan says, uh, he looked at me and he said, do you want to fight? Do you want to fight? If he wants to fight, we can fight. I don't have any problem with him, but we can do it if he wants to. I have no reason why in the middle of the game he would yell at me, do you want to fight? So, like, I like the idea that, like, well, I don't really want to fight him, but if he wants to, I will. Like, yeah. Like, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll uh, I mean, and, that, and that's more of, like, Duncan humor in a way, but it, it's sure. it's still uh, just, yeah, it's, it's a very funny, <laughs> weird, but there's a great video of this on YouTube as well, where Duncan just is, is cannot believe it, and Pop just blows a gasket. He's like, what? Are, yes. you, are you kidding me? And, and I know uh, it, there is a quote, too, that Joey Crawford in that article, if you look it up, will say that he thinks he coached his final game and that the NBA is going to fire him after this, but... Uh, that did not happen. No. Yes. Referee did found him. He was suspended for it, and uh, he eventually apologized for it, and, you know, just, you know, he let his anger get the better of him, and, and then, you know, so uh, cooler heads eventually prevailed, but it was, uh, yes, it was definitely an odd situation at the time. So um, I, I, another great one is from uh, 2012, uh, March 24th, where prior to the game against the 76ers, Head coach uh, uh, Greg Popovich decided to give Duncan night off by listing him as DMP old, uh, poking fun at his at his 36 year old body, which I think is a uh, I I I actually forgotten specifically that that DMP old happened. Like I, I remember like DMP old jokes, but I forgot the actual origin of that <laughs> joke was yeah. Popovich poking fun at Duncan. So that that was a great one. Uh, by the way, in one thing that uh, one fun thing about Tim Duncan, maybe people know, but but uh, Tim Duncan loves paintball. Yeah, so this is an article that I, you absolutely have to read. I, I, I think um, I'm trying to find the exact one. I believe it was ProjectSpurs.com uh, that did this article. And this is a few yeah. years ago. They talked about um, his paintball <laughs> escapades. But uh, yeah, I'm going to read from this uh, this article just to give you an idea. Yeah. And then we have, I think, the greatest story ever uh, with Stephen Jackson and, and Tim Duncan, which we'll get to in a sec. I, but I, 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 yeah, I think this may be a couple of different ones because one of them is definitely from the Chris Ballard article on uh, Duncan, which we'll talk about. Okay, so we might be then, we might be mixing up too. But anyway, um, yeah. Here's the quote. Again, I don't remember uh, exactly which one this was, but uh, it says, did he, uh, did he once invite a bunch of teammates to go to a paintball course, even though most had never played paintball? Perhaps. Did Duncan then stack his team with ringers and bring his own high-powered paintball gun? Maybe. Did he give certain players, such as Danny Ferry, guns that, according to Ferry, were bent and shot six feet to the left every time? There's a chance. And did Duncan then take great delight in hunting down his teammates, chasing the pale, balding, short-turning Ferry until he was in close range, at which point Duncan unleashed a hail of water-soluble hellfire upon the man? 
It's possible. <laughs> and then, uh, Michael Finley has a quote here. Uh, it says, uh, quote, he invited the whole team out for paintball once, but I never played. I called him to ask uh, what, we, uh, what we have to wear. He said long pants and a long sleeve shirt so it can pre- uh, protect you from the paint. But he showed up in a tank top, shorts, and knee pads. When I asked him why, he said, well, I'm not going to get hit. That's great. And then... I, I, yeah, the Stephen Jackson one is great. The greatest um, story ever, yeah. It, yeah. Um, he told this on the uh, the Grantland Basketball Hour. Oh, that's and, right. Yes, yes, yeah. And, and he, um, you know, he said, you know, he, he basically just uh, he and Duncan snuck out to play uh, paintball. Popovich actually told them not to go. And it was two days before camp and we went anyway. And, um, he, you know, he said it was all Tim's idea, if you can believe this, Tim's idea to go against Pop. Uh, so we go, and I'm one of those guys who's not afraid to get shot at. I've been shot at many times <laughs> in my life, so paintball bullets don't bother me at all, right? So um, he accidentally – so he's wearing a mask and didn't realize that the mask could fog up. And so he, um, he ends up tripping over uh, – or slipping on at first steps. He hit his mouth, and then blood just starts shooting everywhere. Um, so he tries to run off the field and holding his mouth. He's just getting shot at, and um, – and then he gets to, to Tim, and Tim's like, oh, how am I going to tell Pop? And, you know, uh, and he's, like, freaking out about it. So they made up something that he was, like, at the club. And then he made up some, some excuse where no one was around but me, and I took one for the team. So. I, I like the idea that, that that in Steven Jackson's world and in Tim Duncan's world, which is, and it's very fair, is that instead yeah. of saying we played paintball, it makes more sense that Steven Jackson, like, got in a fight at a club. And, like, anybody, like Pop would have been more fine with that than you you were playing paintball what are you doing versus i was in a club and i got punched oh okay <laughs> whatever it's steven jack like yes. i steven jackson's my favorite ever like um i, I was yeah, reading the, one i i, I went uh, to a bunch of articles as well i got in this like steven jackson wormhole and then my favorite yeah. quote ever about steven jackson maybe my favorite quote of in nba history is steven jackson got interviewed after the uh, gilbert arenas javaris crittenden issue of course with the guns in the locker room and and that sort of stuff and steven jackson had the greatest quote with that he said man guns in the locker room i wouldn't even do that and the way he said it was like, <laughs> like the I wouldn't like, whoa, like that's even beyond me. And I'm Steven Jackson. Like, you know, like, man, like how like that. It's just it, one of my favorite quotes in NBA history. So I just like this one as well. Of course, uh, the yeah, I'm not afraid to get shot at. I've been shot at many times in real life. So paintball bullets don't bother me at all. Yeah. And what there's another one. Yeah, there, there's another one uh, with with Jackson because you know he had two stints on the team. He had a stint you know kind of early in the 2000s. Was um, I think he was on the road through a championship team, and then you know the, the the story about paintball was from later when he you know he was a veteran on the uh, you know on the 13 and 14 uh, years. But um, talking about um, where you know they they early on where um, you know. Jackson would get frustrated Popovich and when he would get benched and then he would, you know, um, he, he would, he would curse and, you know, get really mad and would, you know, fans in the stands would hear it. And it, you know, we got to, when it got to too much, Duncan would approach Popovich and say, I got him. Um, and then, you know, he would take him aside and they would sort of, um, you know, joke and hang around and they were actually, you know, made sort of an odd couple, uh, uh, Duncan was one of the squarest players in the year in Jackson who never met a club he couldn't close down, a team he couldn't tear apart, or a bottle he couldn't pop. So um, <laughs> that, that was also from the, uh, the the Tim Duncan 21 Shades of Grey uh, article by Chris Ballard, which uh, which came out in 2012. So, um, But, yeah, so um, yeah, uh, one, night, one fun thing, uh, a, a couple of interesting numbers things. Um, 
Duncan is the oldest player to record a 2020 game in history. He had 23 points and 21 rebounds uh, and the game-winning jump shot against the Hawks in uh, December 12th, 2013. Um, and in 2014, when the Duncan won his fifth title with the Spurs, he joined John Sally as the only players to win a championship in three different decades. And um, One of those things is not like the other. <laughs> in 26, yes, exactly. Yeah, not that John Sally is a bad player, but yeah, there's a little slight difference between the two. <laughs> We would um, not do a show if, if if we had went back and uh, I forgot what year John Sally retired. Uh, but if we were doing a uh, a real player uh, media podcast at that point, uh, I don't think we would have done one on John Sally. So probably not. No, no, no I, I I don't I don't know what would have we happened. Had distributed wave files or real media files on our weird <laughs> website at that point. Yes. I don't think uh, no. we would have done that. So, um, so. He had the most consecutive games with one point that ended in 2016, 13-59 uh, in a row. Um, and he had um, was the third player in NBA history on a- April 5th, in fact. Um, uh, right before the, the end of the season, he was the third player to earn 1,000 wins in his career, joining, um, joining Kareem and uh, Robert Parrish. Um, and um, I, so I, the... Um, Let's see. Uh, so some other things worth uh, noting. He um, his quote on the idea of being boring. Um, we talked about this before, but but the but the actual quote I think is interesting. If you show excitement, then you also may show disappointment or frustration. If your opponent picks up on this frustration, you are at a disadvantage. So, and describing his own personality, he compared himself to the to to Will Hunting in Good Will Hunting. Uh, I'm just a, a taller, slightly less hyper, hyperactive version of the Damon character in that movie. I really enjoyed how he pro people and found their weaknesses just by asking questions and stating outlandish remarks. Yeah, Which I, I could see it. Is, I could, yes, I could, yes. I could absolutely see it. So, I, yeah, I hadn't, uh, I, I hadn't thought of, of, about that. Um, there's a few good. Um, there was an SI extra mustard article with these 23 facts prove Tim Duncan is actually the most entertaining man in the NBA. Um, a, a few brief ones. He is a big uh, Dungeons and Dragons fan. Um, he's also a big video game player. He acknowledges a certain joy of playing himself in basketball video <laughs> Which games. Which is terrible. He's terrible. Like yes. playing as the Spurs. Like anybody that's like a, a veteran NBA 2K player. Like nobody plays as the Spurs. Like you can't really like you can't really like mimic the style. And, like who plays as Tim? Du- like who wants to play as Tim Duncan on a video game? Like other than <laughs> Tim Duncan, which yeah, I could absolutely I, see him doing as well. Just like sitting down and like taking like because. Uh, he would still take like very fundamental shot you know what i mean like he would like very much set up an offense and like i'm sure playing with him is just like an absolute joy it's just like you know there's no you know he doesn't hit the turbo button he just kind of slowly gets down there and sets a pick and like goes in the low block and then like makes a shot and he's like very happy about it you know he's, he's good to go so i like I like the idea that he unwinds by playing as himself on a video game which is, is uh, pretty yes good, so. yes so he also so has renaissance fairs too yeah exactly yeah yeah um <laughs> And he has um, tattoos of Merlin and a spooky skeleton <laughs> gesture. And he actually, there's a there's an ESPN um, uh, <sighs> article uh, where he um, where he wanted his nickname initially to be Merlin, but his teammates <laughs> were like, uh, "Thank God, not, yeah. not so much." <laughs> right. Thank you, Vinny Del Negro, for uh, not letting him be that because that would have been really bad. So, yes. So. I, uh, I, I, that's, that, that's nice. I, how is I do, there, I, how is there no pictures of Tim Duncan at a Renaissance fair? If he uh, supposedly loves these Renaissance fairs as much as he does. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they don't let, they don't let a lot of Is there no crossover or there's just, maybe there's just no crossover. 
yeah. uh, other than Tim. Like, whereas, like, other, like, normal attendees of Renaissance Fairs, because I've been to a few. They're, they're very – I enjoy them. They're sure. kind of fun. But yeah. I could see the majority of – you know, I won't lie. The majority of the people there probably don't watch NBA basketball nearly as much as me. So yeah. uh, yeah, um, If you go to San Antonio, though, I would think that – Yeah, um, and he's also, like, like seven foot. So it might be – it's, like, kind of hard to – to miss him, so I'm sure there's like a hey, who's that seven foot guy in like the the jester's outfit or whatever, and it's you know. But as far as I know, there are no pictures of him at Renaissance Fairs, which seems yeah. I'm googling shocking, right now. So. I do not. Uh, I, I I do not see any pictures garbage. of him at Renaissance Fair. So that, that is a yeah. There you go. Maybe he's just always in costume. <laughs> Maybe yeah. You don't know. He's like that. It, it, it's a testament to how great he was at uh, at his costume. So there you go. Good good yes. Good man. Um, he had uh, I, I forgot about this, but there was sort of the uncomfortable Halloween uh, <laughs> night photos of <laughs> him and Tony Parker wearing trench coats with guns, pointing them at a uh, at a bald guy who had a Joey Crawford referee uh, uniform on, which you know, <laughs> a little bit uncomfortable, but uh, managed to avoid uh, any other than maybe like one day of social media fervor. Not really so much controversy of it. I guess it's what you. Uh, that that's one of the benefits of being able to um, you know stay in the uh, back lines is you don't yeah have you built to, up some uh, equity uh, for many years so you can uh, you can do something like that and people won't yes. freak out. Stephen Jackson did it, eh, you know maybe not. Right, but. yeah, not, not so much. <laughs> right. But so uh, Tim Duncan did a a Q and A on his uh, Slam Duncan website, which was last <laughs> updated, I believe, in two thousand and three. So, um, <laughs> but it has like modern book? pictures. That's the best part. Is it looks like like from everything you look at, it was like a website that was designed in like Front Page Express in like two thousand three or whatever. That was very nerdy, sure. by as well. You you got it, and like four other people got it. But sure. it's like a very like it doesn't fit the entire screen. It fits like a two thousand three like CRT monitor or whatever. It doesn't make any. But like there's updated pictures. So like clearly it has been made like at any like like two thousand twelve maybe two thousand four. It's been made sometime in in, in between there. Um, but it definitely looks like it's like from 2002 or 2003. Like it's designed like that. Like like whatever. It might have been just like sitting on his desk for like six years, and he was like, "Yeah, I like the design." There you go. And they're like, "All right, Tim. Like that's yes. fine. We'll do it." Because it just well, like doesn't make sense on modern computers. It looks just ridiculous. Yeah. But the latest news is um, what's new NBA Finals Spurs Heat, and then takes you to a link of the 2013 Finals. So so there um, you go. Yeah. Even though like th- there's yes. no way this thing like <laughs> look at this like rollovers and like. It's it's yeah. Uh, anybody who knows anything about web design will find it uh, quite amusing. So 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 when he was twenty seven at this point, so his favorite book was Jurassic Park. His favorite Ooh, food. Do we was, want to advertise? Was... Uh, I just clicked their link. Webmaster at slamdunkin for advertising Ooh, opportunities. There you, you in? Go. I'm in. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Um, his favorite Sorry, uh, food is steak and shrimp. Favorite ice cream flavor is gold medal ribbon. Uh, <laughs> what is three, that? I don't even know what had, that is. He had three dogs. Um, <laughs> Uh, Nicole, Shadow, and Zen. One is a cockapoo. The other two are labs. Uh, his favorite color is black. His favorite type of music is rap and <laughs> reggae. His favorite movie is The Crow. His favorite TV shows are Martin and Seinfeld. Favorite actor, Kevin Spacey. Favorite board game, Monopoly. And do you like to surf the net? Yes, I spend lots of time online. So there you go. There you go. On the internet. He, I on am the internet. on the internet. I, uh, I've yes. never heard of gold uh, metal ribbon. I guess I don't go to Baskin Robbins. Apparently it's a... Uh, Exclusive Baskin Robbins flavor, but it looks ah, like something I would go. enjoy. It's vanilla, uh, vanilla and chocolate ice creams with a caramel ribbon. So there's your gold medal ribbon. Okay, yeah, I, I'd be down with that. So yes. go ahead. So yeah, I approve um, of his favorite ice cream. So so there there's a, a few stories on teammates are on opponents uh, 
mentioning how um, nice Tim Duncan is to them. But before that, uh, there was a there was a good there was a good article by Kevin Arnovitz on um, you know why Tim Duncan is the most influential player in the NBA, and it just sort of talks about. Um, there's a quote from Mike Budenholzer, who was a longtime Spurs assistant before he became Hawks coach, and he's says, we walk into our houses and thank Tim Duncan. You think about all the coaches and all the GMs and all even the assistant video games, video guys who are now assistant coaches, all the people who have climbed the NBA ladder. We all owe our success, our place in the league to Timmy. Uh, the magnitude of that, the number of people in this league who have enjoyed opportunity or found fortunate spots in the league, you can trace it back to this one guy, to the way Timmy played ball and conducted himself. The culture is Timmy, which. You know, I mean, if you think about it, obviously there's situations like Kobe playing 20 years with the Lakers. There are other guys, um, you know, even Dirk with Dallas. But, um, you know, the, the, the Spurs have by far had the most stability. I mean, the uh, the 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 Mavericks have had still quite a bit. You know, obviously Mark Cuban's been there and Donnie Nelson. But, uh, you know, they've had different coaches. They've, you know, haven't had necessarily the same, like, kind of, you know, situation where you know uh, they have a coaching tree and they have all these assistants and they're doing all these things on the team whereas the spurs you have kind of created like this huge model and this huge culture that's you know been you you know gone to other teams you know the thunder the jazz the hawks all these guys you know they they have that kind of the spurs model in mind and if you know obviously had a level of success from doing that although obviously without tim duncan there's you know uh or a you know a franchise type player there's limits to where that succeeds but you know if you think about one guy being a job creator like that i mean i'm not sure you can say that same thing about you know kobe with all the different you know regimes that have been in there uh, out in los angeles not that that's kobe's fault necessarily but um you know the fact that there's been um you know those other teams even if there's that same that players played there it hasn't necessarily been that same you know regime that's been there that's been able to kind of create the environment where all these guys you know are able to you know get jobs place and kind of spread the culture to other places Mm -hmm. no absolutely yeah i I think you know you look at that tree and and the coaching tree and of course pop uh deserves a lot of credit for that as well uh, of, of that coaching tree but a lot of it is, you know, and Boonholzer is one of those guys that came from that and is saying that, that, you know, it's a lot of it is Duncan, too, which is, is just an incredible testament to, to what those two as a unit and that entire culture that they sort of created in San Antonio have created. Like we talked about at the beginning, like they are the best place for a reclamation project to go and almost like you, you almost think like or there, there's almost no doubt that like that guy is going to improve. Something about that guy is going to be maximized. And, and then a lot of those guys go on to make more money. You know, they come in as sort of their, you know, on their last leg. They come in, they get revitalized, and they, a lot of them go and do other things and make other money other places. But it's just so interesting to see, and it's just a, a testament to what Duncan and Pop have created. And it'll be interesting to see if that sort of maintains without Duncan or if he's created such a, a, a something, you know, if he's created such a, a stabilizing factor there that that will, you know, maintain for so long until basically every one of these guys is gone and there's a whole new regime or whatever. But as far as there is now, I mean, I have no reason to think that all of a sudden they're just going to fall apart and everyone's going to start fighting with each other and they're not going to be, you know, great at what they've been so great at. But it, it, it's just amazing what they've been able to do in San Antonio. And, it, and it, in a lot of ways, and we've talked about it a lot on this show too, it is stretched even beyond uh, Tim Duncan as well. I mean, when David Robinson was there, uh, by himself, they were a really good team too. It's it's yeah. it's crazy what that franchise has done over the last like twenty, and now we're you know we're we're almost approaching thirty years of just like just a crazy amount of stability and 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 just success. Yeah. Um, so some stories about Tim Duncan being nice. Um, after the Spurs swept the Clippers in in twenty twelve in the conference semis, he hung out with Chris Paul's son so he wouldn't be sad, which is awfully nice. <laughs> and. Um, 
um, uh, Eton Thomas uh, shared a story about um, uh, Duncan um, or Thomas gets a gets the ball in the post and then um, and then Duncan blocks his jump hook. And then as running down the court, he says to me, that was a good move, but you have to get more into my body so you can either draw the foul or I can't block it. <laughs> um, and then he did something. Um, so he, basically, like, he, first he wasn't sure if he was joking or not, and then a few plays later he did it and um, got more into his body, and he couldn't block it. He missed the shot, though, and then Duncan looked at me and said, much better, and kept playing. And um, so then he later says, honestly, one of the nicest guys in the NBA, one of the best power forwards ever. Um also, you mentioned the Draymond Green story of talking junk. There's a similar one with uh, Stephen Adams, where, um, where like, um, you, you know, he's sort of like take. He's like Adams is sort of giving him a pounding, and you know, he's kind of taking it to him as as a rookie. And then Duncan sort of he comes over and just talks to him a bit, and he's just like, "Hey, man, how are you?" And I was like, "Oh, what a nice guy!" And then he dropped twenty on me from there on. So, um, <laughs> lulling him into a uh, into the false sense of a security there. So. Um. Oh, oh. Also, another fun one is um, he um he briefly sang to Brooke Lopez on the court. Uh, apparently, Welcome to the Jungle was playing uh, over the loudspeaker. This is a game from 2010 when uh um a Nets game and a Nets a Spurs game, obviously, and um and then um and Brooke's brother had watched the game. His older brother Chris, and then he's like, Hey, in the middle of the fourth quarter, I saw Timmy lean over and say something. What do you say? And then Brooke got a big smile on his face, and he said, the speakers in the arena were playing Welcome to the Jungle. We got fun in games, and Timmy was mouthing that in his ear. Um, <laughs> so the, the two of them had a nice uh, little uh, laugh about that. So uh, uh, Tim Duncan, the goofball, it's uh, obviously, um, uh, you know, a, a, a fun thing. And um, also, I um, there's some, some good... Um, a few more things that I, I think were interesting about sort of the, the Popovich um, Duncan relationship. Um, there, you know, there, apparently there was a decent chance of Pop being fired when the Spurs started six and eight in 99 lockout season. And, uh, you know, Malik Rose and Avery Johnson was both, you know, said like, you know, that they, they, you know, seriously thought that he was going to leave. A couple other guys were a little more skeptical. Like it wasn't, you know, definitely going to happen if they didn't win this game in Houston, but there was very much a sense of, you know, we need to get this on track or else, you know, he's going to be going. Uh, they ended up winning that game and going 31-5 and for the rest of the season and, um, you know, ultimately got their uh, first uh, championship. Um, you know, the other thing is that, um, you know, the, the fact that, um, you know, one key, I think, to the Spurs' success was the fact that Duncan was able to... Um, you know, allowed himself to get yelled at by Popovich and took the same kind of, you know, yelling that basically forced every other player to accept it. If, you know, if Duncan was going to accept it, um, you know, Popovich was going to uh, accept it, you know, and, and there are other times where, you know, kind of the star has to embrace that in order for everyone to kind of be able to do that. But that was, you know, I, th I think a key of, um, you know, um, everyone else had to take it because uh, Duncan would take it. Yeah, yeah, it, it's definitely something that any any good culture, any, you know, if you want that, if you want it to work top down, and if you want the coach to really get every single guy and, and really get into, you know, or for them to listen to what the coach said, like, it, it's so much easier. And this goes for, you know, jobs or, or basketball, whatever the hell it is. 
when you have the top guy, the top dog, whoever, you know, a Tim Duncan type, and he listens, and he then it just helps it so much. And and that's going to be a big thing where I, I mentioned, like, I don't think it's going to all of a sudden turn into, you know, a, a, a mess in San Antonio. Like, I'm not saying that at all. But having him be there and being that calming influence that, that would be able to take all that and would be fine with Popovich yelling at him and screaming at him or whatever, that helps. Like, that really does a lot for the entire culture of a team and for the entire success of a team because then now the coach, you know, kind of has a little bit of uh, power in there too. And then that player has power as well and, and proves that sort of he is kind of the alpha there because he's, he's, he's willing to take it and, and sort of let other people on the team, you know, understand and, and see that as well. So it's, it's a super important thing that he was, Duncan was kind of okay with um, his entire career. And I think it's a big part of why they were su- such a successful franchise as well. Yeah. And um, interestingly enough, um, you know, obviously Duncan has um, rarely been on the most popular uh, jerseys uh, list, but he actually did manage to crack into that in uh, 2014. You know, it helped obviously that they're going to the finals in uh, those couple of years and won a championship. But um, you know, the fact that kind of people sort of came around a little bit on uh, you know because he hadn't been on that list since 2007. So I thought that was interesting that um, you know eventually I think people embrace them and you know they they started to um you know they didn't do they obviously didn't do very well in the ratings in um in the early 2000s although again that was during a downtime um for the league so that i think part of it was just the fact that it was a downtime and you know the the, the spurs were not um you know they weren't going to compare to the lakers during that time but it was more i, th- I think situational as opposed to the spurs you know, being a complete drag themselves, but you know, they obviously, you know, when they started, when they found the right opponent, like in the heat and, you know, were battling against some of the, you know, the right team, they did actually, you know, uh, they were a, um, you know, maybe not the most exciting team still, but they were, you know, they were selling jerseys. They were doing kind of some of the things that they had sort of been, I don't know if criticized for exactly is right, but um, they had sort of been, you know, said that that people wouldn't do for the Spurs. So, Oh, that was kind of interesting. Uh, I think we should get a little bit into the KG rivalry and the Shaq rivalry, and then we should uh, finish up with some um, with, with some of our favorite uh, with some of our favorite uh, stats. Yes. Yeah, so um, Tim Duncan doesn't really like Kevin Garnett, and I'm sure <laughs> yes. Kevin Garnett doesn't like Tim Duncan. I think that's uh, fair. They're kind of coy about it, but um, this was from an SI Vault article in uh, 2012, kind of talking. Yeah, it's, it's the same it's, thing. It's the, the Chris Shades of Gray. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is a fantastic, like absolutely a must read. And there, there's so much stuff out there. Uh, a lot of it that I've read has been fantastic, so I can't really like recommend because I uh, I'll recommend you like 15 things, but there's just so much good stuff being written about Duncan right now. But this is from that uh, 21 Shades of Gray, um, and it's with Chris Ballard. He says Duncan hates Garnett, hates him the way liberals. Hate Sean Hannity. Uh, <laughs> fun run. Uh, Malik Rose says he uh, he fucking destroys you. Was his quote? Duncan's lifetime averages uh, against Garnett's teams were at 19.4 points per game, 11.6 boards, and a 44 and 17 record, including postseason. Uh, yes. There's been talk from reliable sources how KG has made a career trying to punk Duncan, baiting him and slapping him and whispering stuff and just kind of messing with him. And as Malik Rose, as I mentioned there, where he says he kind of destroys him, is that Duncan it kind of pisses him off and and, yeah. and drives him to, to do well against uh, Garnett and whatever team he's playing with. Um, according to this one, Duncan is diplomatic about the issue, asks if perhaps all those years of battling Garnett has softened his feelings for the man, led to a Magic Larry-type kinship. Uh, Duncan leaned back on his couch in his hotel room and grins. There's a pause, a longer pause. Finally, he says, define kinship. So, <laughs> Which is great. Pretty good way to say no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I mean, the, the, the ironic thing is that, yeah, the, the trash talk is absolutely the wrong thing you want to do for Duncan because you know, it right. just causes him to, even though he doesn't show it, it motivates him to, you know, to get fired up and to sort of um, 
destroy things. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, and with Shaq, I, you know, they they um, even though because when they were in the playoffs, they were it really was more of. You know, I mean, they both obviously were great big men, but um, Duncan was power forward, more of a power forward at that point. O'Neal was more was obviously center. Um, but uh, Sean Devaney article on the rivalry um, and, and talking about you know, kind of like a what if if you know if if uh, uh, Shaq had played with the Spurs and how they kind of weren't you, you know never really had that kind of um, epic thing. Um, but they did play in the postseason five out of six years. Um, they split the first two series and the fifth went to the Lakers. Uh, in all four cases, the Spurs Lakers winner reached the finals. Only one time they did not win the championship, which was Lakers in 2004. Uh, they each won 15 postseason games against each other. Um, Duncan averaged 25.6 points and 13.0 rebounds, while Shaq had 22.4 points and 12.8 rebounds per game. So interesting that Duncan actually slightly statistically better in those uh, matchups, which is, you know, given Shaq's you know playoff reputation, I think is um, is pretty interesting. So. Um, and looking at uh, the best uh, postseason trios of all time, uh, Duncan, Ginobili, and Parker are on that list. They have 100. They have the most wins, 126, with four championships. Uh, Magic Johnson, Kareem, and Michael Cooper had 110 with five championships. Um, Magic, Kareem, and, and Byron Scott have 93 wins and uh, three championships. And then Bird, McHale, Parrish have 92 wins and um, three championships. So um, interesting to see how they. Uh, uh, how, how they go about that and there's um there's a there's one tim duncan quote on um on ginobili parker that i wanted to that i uh, forgot to mention that i i think is worth um duncan said in 2010 this is from a uh, oral history of tim duncan from uh my san antonio.com um i think it's pretty well documented i wasn't sure what to expect from parker with his age with his inexperience with his lack of knowledge of language all those things went into it i think it was the same thing on a different level with ginobili um with with Parker it was about him being whatever 13 years old obviously joke and asking him to start for a team that's been doing pretty good with Ginobili it was just getting used to playing some with someone like that taking some of the shots that he does so um it is pretty remarkable and I couldn't find a lot in this is I guess a lot of of Duncan not being that accessible with, with the media as far as like you know personal tales of the three or anything that they you know with anything specifically about their relationship beyond that i mean that was that that wasn't really that insightful necessarily but i just thought was one of the few times on the record he actually kind of said something about the uh the three and i thought was uh worth mentioning but uh but obviously you know tremendously successful on the court and you know interesting to kind of would be interesting to know more about to their relationship um off the court but you know hopefully somebody will write the uh will write the spurs book one day or the you know the pop duncan book or whatever you you write about hopefully that will uh Hopefully someone will talk eventually and we'll get more um, details on you know everything kind of behind the scenes of them for the past you know, 19 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you don't really don't. I mean, yeah, th- that is something that you don't really hear about them. Because so, it, it's something where, yeah, people, you, you know, maybe you get this idea that, oh, it's uh, Parker, Ginobili, and Duncan. They were just kind of ready to go. And, like, it didn't coalesce right away. Like, you know, Parker was kind of, uh, he was okay for a little while. But it took him a little while to get going onto that level. And, and Ginobili was, you know, not a very big part of the first year. And then the second year, as this year went on and as the playoffs went going, uh, got going in route to, you know, a championship, that's when he sort of clicked. And then, you know, he was ready to go after that. But it, it, it wasn't like immediately they just draft these guys out of nowhere, bring them in, and then and everyone coalesced like perfectly it, it was it was a weird period and we and we saw that like 
their their styles and the way that that team played evolved from that where those guys came in when they were still kind of a slow prodding team you know Robinson was still there in a lot of ways and then we see you know all the way till the late 2000s where that team with the same guys with you know pretty much the same makeup then became a really quick you know a super quick you know run the floor type team so it's just kind of interesting to see that 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 you know that unit had you know, almost two different lives, and just it also took a little while to coalesce and really get going. And I wouldn't say they really were off and running until you know. I, I think it's safe to say maybe 2005 was when it really started to click that like these three are the guys and they're ready to go. You know, I I don't know if it was before that before they really 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 got it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and you know, Parker really he broke out in a sense in 2007 when he won the Finals MVP too. I mean, yeah. he was already a star, but yeah, as far as like kind of being on that same level, I mean, I think he might have even been till then where he was kind of thought of as where it really was kind of you know like a, a new big three, so to speak. I don't know if it was ever marketed that way, but you know, where basically that was kind of the uh, you know the, they were really that trio. Uh, you know, after you know that came along after you know Robinson retired and you know and they kind of reshaped the team. Um. So, where some talk about some some favorite stats and some you know a few things about uh, Duncan's career to kind of finish up. Um, he had three Finals MVPs, joining a club with Jordan, who had six, LeBron, Magic, and Shaq, um, and uh, two regular season MVPs in O two and O three. Uh, he was ten times on the All NBA First Team, including his rookie year, and also his last one was in twenty thirteen at age thirty six. Um, three times in the second team, two times in the third team. Uh, 15 times All-NBA overall is tied with Kareem and Kobe for the most in uh, NBA history. Um, he was a 15-time All-Defensive team, eight times in the first team. Somehow never won a Defensive Player of the Year. It's a which, travesty. Uh, yeah, I think they should name the Defensive Player of the Year after him. I, think I agree. Yeah, even though he never won it, they should definitely name it. I, I think that would be the greatest thing ever is to name it after him even though he never won. I, I, I honestly, and I'm not even joking. That's not even hyperbole. Yeah. I think that would be a great thing because yeah. he's awesome. It's just incredible well, that he never he, won I mean, it. Yeah. Bill Russell was the Finals MVP. They named it after him, and he never won it. And granted, it was the only time it was only it, it debuted in his last season, so he couldn't other than that year. <laughs> there but, wasn't a ton, but, but, but still. still. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, I'm, I'm with so, you. There's precedent there, so at least we got something yeah. there. So that's fine. I like that. Yeah. Uh, he had, uh, according to uh, Ben Golliver of SI tweeted, that he had 19 straight seasons with a winning percentage of above 600 and 18 straight seasons with a PER above 21, which is uh, obviously very good. Uh, he was one of only two players who played 1,300-plus games and had a career PER of over 24, uh, Kareem being the other player. Um, and only... Only Duncan, Bird, and Jordan have won the Wooden Award, College Player of the Year, NBA Rookie of the Year, NBA MVP, Finals MVP, and All-Star Game MVP. Kind of a like, little bit of an odd mix of things, but <laughs> right, yeah. not that All-Star Game MVP is a uh, you know the, the, the most notable uh, award, but interesting, you know, nonetheless. Um, it is sort of interesting that Duncan, of all the players to win an All Star Game MVP, Duncan is not necessarily one that I, I would. It's think about of what as, I, like, I was gonna say. Like, yeah, I could see him just kind of being like, yeah, I'll just score like two points, and I'm kind of good. Like, you guys can bring somebody else in if you want. I don't really right. don't care. But like, yes. yeah, he doesn't seem like because there's some guys that like relish the opportunity of like, I'm gonna throw off the backboard, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna have this fun. Whereas Duncan kind of seems like this is boring. I don't really want to be here. Like, I'll just get my ten points and get out of here. But hey, that's good for him. Yes. I don't even recall what year. Do you do you remember off the top of your head what year he won the All Star Game MVP? I I do not remember what yeah, year. Um, so apparently yeah. it was <laughs> it left a uh, quit the mark on all of us. So In, indeed. So uh, he was ninth all time in MVP award shares, which you kind of like you know is uh, a good indication of career value. Uh, seventh in total rebounds, sixth in block, seventeenth in points, thirteenth in win shares for forty eight, twelfth in box score plus minus, and then sixth all time in win shares and value over placement 
player, which kind of rewards longevity. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I looked it up and, just to make sure. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, he sure. won in 2000. Him and Shaquille O'Neal were ah. joint MVPs. So I can see uh, in the year 2000, Duncan's still trying. You know, I, I'm okay. sure he still cares about go. it then. Like, I was making sure it wasn't, like, 2005, where he's like, no, dude, like, I don't care anymore. Like, that's – you guys do your thing. Uh, I'll come and enjoy the weekend. But, yeah, I'm not uh, going to bust my ass in this game. But uh, 2000, yeah. I'm sure he's still trying. So there you go. Yes. So um, so Tom Haberster tweeted that uh, Duncan is the only player in NBA history with 100 defensive win shares and 100 offensive win shares. Um, and uh, basketball reference, uh, his 2003 playoff run was the best ever performance by win shares and value over placement player. Um, that's there's there's a benefit to having a longer playoff run for that um so it's more comparable to like post 84 um right so obviously it's still a very impressive number um and um and we also discovered that russell and duncan are the only two players with 100 plus defensive win shares uh russell at 133 and duncan had 106 so uh Big difference there, which is pretty amazing for Russell. Those still obviously very impressive. I mean, Duncan had more than Kareem, um, Elijah Wan, Will, you know, all those guys. Um, and uh, something I found out was uh, the Spurs won uh, 1,072 regular season games in the Duncan era, which is more than uh, several franchises, more than the Magic, more than the Hornets, uh, more than the Timberwolves, um, more than the Raptors and Grizzlies, which isn't as, as much of a surprise because they only date, um, you know, they uh, they only date back, uh, you know, a few years before um, he, he debuted. But um, yeah, the Heat and the Magic uh, and the Hornets have about a decade, or and the Timberwolves yeah. too. Yeah, they have almost nearly a decade of a head right. start. Yeah, on, 80, on those Duncan, teams yeah. started in '89 and '90. Yeah. The, the, the Heat do have more than Duncan. They have 1170, but not that much more than Duncan. And you know, they have you know. Uh, eight years ahead of him so um and the spurs also had more wins in the duncan era than michael jordan played games 1039 jordan played that number of games in 1072 wins for um duncan which i thought was pretty amazing somebody tweeted me um uh, that i i i'm sorry i forgot who exactly exactly it was but but thank you for doing that because that was an excellent uh point as well man that's pretty incredible um just like we see that they win you know somewhere around 55 games basically every year you know a couple with a few years in the 60s and obviously that accumulates a lot but you look at it that way that's just kind of mind-blowing yeah, and, and one last thing, uh, Ben Golliver, uh, across the Tim Duncan era, the Spurs had the uh, the NBA's best defensive rating, 100.5, and it's not even close. Like, the next closest is Indiana, and they were at 103.4. Uh, right after them was Miami at 103.5, and then Boston at 103.6. So, not even close. And if you're familiar with defensive uh, rating, you know that, you know, a difference of, you know, three is huge. Like, that's gigantic, and that it, it, it's just, it, it's amazing what they were able to do with Duncan as, you know, the, the force behind a lot of what they did on defense but uh, just an incredible incredible uh, statistical career yeah and, and uh, Gulliver a couple other things he noted was uh, the the Spurs had a 6.55 point differential during his during Duncan's career the second best was Dallas with 2.73 so <laughs> Jeez, yeah. yeah and uh, and the range is small by the way for people that are wondering like negative a little over negative two the Washington Wizards is, is the worst so that range is like, I mean, they're at 6.55. And, right, you know, I mean, that that is basically, yes, exactly. The difference between second and last is basically the difference between first and second. <laughs> right, it's unbelievable. It's, it's very close to, the, yeah, 
Yeah, wow. Um, the Spurs uh, won 155 more games during Duncan era than any other franchise. Dallas was second with 917. Um, Duncan's uh, 30 basketball reference tweeted that bas- that Duncan's uh, 32.20 rebound game one of the 2003 Finals was the second uh, best uh, Finals uh, game score in uh, NBA history. It was. 32 points, 20 rebounds, six assists, and that's not even the 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 one that you know that people always talk about. That uh, the game six of that series, the closeout game yeah. of that series, which we'll, we'll talk about in a minute because that's um, that's an impressive one. Um, uh, Jared Dubin tweeted that um, uh, the um, the Spurs had six of the 15 best single season defenses of the three point era if you adjust the league average. So they had they they, they were first, uh, sixth, seventh. Uh, Ninth and uh, yeah, and so six in the top fifteen. So that's obviously a pretty. Sp- the O four team being the best of those. Yeah, which um, uh, funny enough, that's the team that did not win. <laughs> and then the uh, two thousand sixteen Spurs also did not win. But yes, they fun. yeah they were second best win. Yeah, so um, the ninety nine Spurs were the best that did win. So, yeah. um, and Curtis Harris of Probes History he tweeted uh, Duncan stat lines from his final games of the two thousand two to two thousand six postseasons. Uh, in 02 of the Western Conference semifinals, 34 points, 25 rebounds, four assists, two blocks. They uh, they lost to the Lakers uh, in that one. In game three, uh, in game six of the 03 finals, uh, the, the really famous stat line: 21 points, 20 rebounds, 10 assists, eight blocks. Um, game six of the 04 Western Conference semifinals, again lost to the Lakers: 20 points, 11 rebounds, two assists. Game seven of the 05 finals against the Pistons: 25 points, 11 rebounds. And uh, Game Seven of the 06 Western Conference Finals, uh, Western Conference Semifinals, where the, the the game where they lost to the uh, the um, Mavericks, we talked about yep. 41 points, 15 rebounds, six assists, three blocks um, in um, in overtime. Um, and um, yeah, uh, Tom Abershaw also tweeted that um, his Duncan's career plus minus, including the playoffs since 1996, was exactly 10,000. Second is uh, Dirk with a uh, uh, 6700, and then uh, third is LeBron with uh, just a little bit below that 66658. So, um, I, first of all, the amazing that's just exactly 10,000. The fact that it's so <laughs> so far ahead of anybody else. Uh, so now we know why he officially retired. That is because somebody yeah. told him that, and he went, "Oh, okay. Well, now I'm now I'm done." So it's don't pretty mess awesome. That up. And, then, and then the last one. Uh, Tim, according to ESPN Stats and Info, uh, Duncan, um, he had from 03 to 04, which is the last time the, the data was tracked, he had 945 bank shots. Number two it was Dwayne Wade with 333. So, <laughs> yeah. Just incredible. Like that, it, it's, 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 it's perfect. It's so, so perfect that that. I mean that's not nine nine forty five to three thirty three, and like Wade does it a lot. Like I, I see Wade yeah. do it a lot, and it's like I would assume he'd yeah I, I assume that he'd be on that list that he'd be near it, but to be that far away from Tim Duncan, it's just incredible. It's just unbelievable. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, anything else? I think that's it. Yeah. I mean, I think we we, yeah. we, we kind of talked about all the, the the stats. What I sure really wanted to talk to, and I think the point that we just wanted to get across with this entire episode is that the guys pretty interesting like he led a very yes. interesting career and anybody that's going to kind of go oh he was boring oh he was this like you're just I, you're just doing yourself a disservice because there's so much out there and there's just so much to read and consume and, and watch or whatever 
but he was such a dynamic player, and he's going to be greatly, greatly missed in the NBA. Like, I'm a guy who I've always enjoyed his game. I've always loved him. I've always kind of argued with people that are like, oh, he's boring. I hate watching him or whatever. I've always said he's a joy to watch. Like, I, yeah. I, I've loved his game from the moment I saw it, even as a kid. I, there was something about it. And it's, it's, it's admirable. It's like a guy that just wins. You know what I mean? Like, people talk about how bad they want guys to just, you know, win and not be, you know, this and not do that and not showboat. And then you get this guy, and then you're like, ah, he's boring. Well, no, you get it. Like, there you go. There's your guy. But it just wasn't, like, people just always found some flaw in him. But I think hopefully now with this, with his retiring, people will go back and they will look. And, of course, we saw that on Twitter the past few days. There, People are, are tweeting out these numbers and these stats that are just mind-blowing of how great this guy was and how just an all-time all-time great he was and anybody who does I like I, I just can't fathom you not thinking that he's he's right there and you know we talked about him last year on our top 50 show this is a guy that and, and there's been discussions of this too you can make a reasonable case for him you know I, I would say you know top 10 is a no doubt in my mind at least all-time players would you agree yeah, I, oh, I, yeah. yeah so. And that, like, so, and then now you get to the thing of the top, and that, you know, top five gets people a little nervous and weird, and, and I don't know if I'm ready to do that quite yet. I'd have to really break it down, but you can, I mean, the fact that we're having that argument about a guy that just retired is astounding. So I hope everybody enjoyed when they had greatness in front of them to watch it, because uh, I know I did, and I loved it, and he's definitely going to be sorely missed. Yeah, absolutely. So, um,. All right. Well, uh, Rich, uh, thanks again for uh, for some fun talk about the uh, NBA history. We always uh, uh, always a privilege to do this with you, sir. Yes, thank you, sir. And uh, thanks everyone for checking us out. You can find us at hardwoodparoxysm.com. You can find our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher by searching Over and Back NBA. We would greatly appreciate a review and a rating. You can find us on Twitter and iTunes at the handle at Over and Back NBA. And uh, so uh, let us know what you think. Uh, and uh, thanks for listening. And until next time, uh, we'll be back again soon. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.